0: to our new series, Hope Has a Name. I thought that this was super appropriate for the holiday season because we can talk about hope all we want, but at the end of the day, it's the anchor to our hope that is really what gives it its strength. That's really what holds its ground. And so I wanted to draw attention and zero in on who God is. Who is this person that we say we put our hope in? And Why are we able to do that? What makes him trustworthy? What makes him who he is? What are some characteristics about God that makes him worthy of our hope? And so today we're going to talk about a couple of those names of God, just the first two. And it's just me today. It's me. I hope that's enough for y'all today. We've had some amazing guests in our previous season, Hope in the Midst of, and we're going to continue to have some guests even in this series. But I wanted to jump into this very first episode with both feet and my own take on the way I see God in some of his characteristics. And so today we're going to start off by talking about the name of God, El Roy, El Roy means the God who sees. And we see this in the very beginning of the Bible in chapter 16, when God is talking to Abraham, Abraham is talking to God, Sarah is getting frustrated because, well, Sarai at the time, she's not Sarah yet. She is not able to bear children and she is getting older in her childbearing years. Now, at the time, their childbearing years were a whole lot longer than today's technical childbearing years and what women typically do. So for her, she was way past what we would consider to be menopause. And um, she was hopeful for a child still, but unfortunately that was not happening. So sadly, we see Sarai here give up hope a little bit. And she goes to Abram, who at the time is not yet Abraham. He still has his mother's given name, Abram and Sarai is complaining and she is upset. And so she says, well, let me, let me get my servant Hagar, who is a loyal servant, a good servant, her personal servant. It's kind of like having an executive assistant back in the day where like, they had a ton of servants, but usually they had like a main one that was like their right hand person. And that was Hagar for Sarai. And Sarai took her servant as an act of servitude to her and presented her to Abram as another wife and said, I am giving her to you so that she may bear a child and that will be my child. So she essentially wanted to use Hagar to give her husband an heir and to give her a child that she would essentially take ownership of because in her household, she had technical ownership of Hagar as a servant. That's the way the cultural... Um, system worked at the time. So Hagar is fine with this at first, it seems like in scripture. I don't know how she actually felt. I wish that there was some sort of diary where I could have you know, read how she feels. I think that would have been really revealing, but it seems as if she was a very loyal, respectful servant. She knew her place. She earned that position with Sarai by being loyal and obedient and just really walking in her position really well. And so she does marry Abram in a ceremony and she conceives a son. And right after she conceives, when she announces that she did, Sarai, it says she looked on her with contempt and immediately that hurt Hagar. That hurt her so bad because she was she thought she was doing something that she had been asked to do that would honor and um, give her value, that would honor Sarai and continue in her servitude in a way that would bring her joy because it was essentially what she wanted. While Sarai did have contempt toward Hagar, I don't know if it was an angry contempt or to jealousy or whatever, but I always get surprised by that part because we know that Sarai ends up being Sarah who does bear a child and Jesus comes from that line. So it's always interesting to me how God still blesses us even when our attitudes are poor. But I digress. Hagar feels this. She's upset. She feels used. She feels abused. And so she decides that she's going to up and leave. She's just going to leave with this baby. And she's like, I I don't want to live in this situation. I did everything and I feel like I can't do anymore. So she leaves and an angel of the Lord is sent to her in the midst of her journey And that angel of the Lord basically tells her, God sees you. And so you need to go back to Sarai and Abram and again, humble yourself. What a hard word that is. So in the same sentence, God sees her. She feels value. But at the same time, the same sentence, he says, and you need to go back. That's a hard word. I identify with her a lot because I feel like, Sometimes God can see our heart and empathize with us, but it doesn't always change what we what we ought to do and what he wants us to do. And sometimes it's, you know, yeah, I'm going to send you back into this painful situation and I know it's going to hurt, but I need you to know that I see you in the midst of it. I feel like that is that characteristic of hope that the Lord asks us to carry, that spirit of hope that we get with the Holy Spirit, where we can be in the midst of a really, really difficult circumstance or situation and still have peace in the midst of it. I really feel like that's what the angel of the Lord was asking her to do by saying, Hey, God sees you, He loves you. Yes, that hurts. I understand. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your line. But in order to do that, I need you to go back into this really painful situation. And I need you to continue to keep your heart pure. Don't let her contempt give you contempt. I need you to keep your heart pure. Continue living in loyalty, in servitude, in humility, the way you were doing. And I will continue to bless nations after you through your son, who will be called Ishmael. So she does. She obeys the Lord. And immediately she calls him El Roy. That is the name used. It's the first time in scripture that the name El Roy is used, the God who sees. She felt so seen. And in fact, they actually named that. It was like a well that she was by. I can't remember the whole name, but it was something, and then it had Elroy. So that was really, really cool because that place is super significant for her, that it became named Elroy, the God who sees, because that's where he saw her. So she goes back, bears this child, Abram does name him Ishmael, and then he goes on to be the primary and only child for another almost, maybe a little more than 10 years before the Lord comes to Abram and says, hey, you will be named Abraham, your wife is going to change her name to Sarah. Things are about to flip around here. You're who I choose to create my nation through, to create my people. This is who I choose to do my covenant with. And in order to do that, I am going to continue to bless to bless Ishmael. I am going to continue to bless all of your offspring, but Ishmael's not it. I'm going to double that. And I'm going to give your previously barren wife, Sarai, who is now Sarah, an offspring of her own. And that is the same offspring that the king of kings is going to come from. It's going to have kings and princes on both sides, but the king of kings is going to come from your primary wife, Sarah. And I just find that so significant because while the angel of the Lord came to Hagar and said, God sees you. I am the God who sees. And she acknowledged him as Elroy and said, you are the God who sees. He had mercy on her, even in her contempt as a response to the contempt of Sarai. I mean, truly, how many times do we all do that? When someone gets angry with us or hurts us unfairly, And we feel a sense of righteous anger. We think we have a righteous anger in our response. And we're actually acting in the same spirit that we were acted against. I find that super significant because God had mercy and he saw through the actions. He saw through her running away. He saw through her anger and he saw her heart. He saw her pain because that's what the Lord does. He looks at the heart. And I feel like he did the same thing with Sarah. He went and he looked at Abraham. He looked at Sarah and he saw, you know what? Yes, she treated Hagar awful. She treated her poorly. She was unfair. Even after she went back, she was not kind to her. And she had contempt in her heart when what she wanted to happen happened. I feel like the Lord saw through her actions, saw through her pain, saw through her anger, through her mistreatment of Hagar. And he said, you know what? The root of that is pain. The root of that is sadness. And I'm going to have mercy and I'm going to see her too. So I feel like in Genesis, he just, the Lord established himself in this story of Abraham and the beginning of God's nation as El Roy, the God who sees. So I love that characteristic of God. It makes me feel like even when I mess up, He still sees my heart, even when I'm less than kind to my kids, even when I'm less than patient with my husband or respectful, or even when I'm just judgy or rude with other people. We all make mistakes and we all have poor judgment and act out of sadness and anger. I just have so much peace knowing that the Lord sees through that and sees to my heart. And he can have mercy on me still. He has so much mercy and so much grace. And my performance doesn't dictate his love towards me. My performance doesn't dictate his goodness because he's good in and of himself. His kindness is in and of himself. I don't get to dictate that. And he already chose me. So he sees through all of that. And I just... I internalize that so much. And that's something I'm trying to see more of this week is I'm gonna make an appoint to declare God in my prayer life as El Roy, you are the God who sees me and I'm gonna worship you for that. That's one of the things I want you guys to take away this week or even the series, is every week, the names of God that we talk about, you can take into worship because these are all things that are good about God that we get to worship him for, to focus off of yourself onto God and have another aspect of him to focus on in your worship. The next name of God I want to talk about I think a lot of us have heard. It also originated in the very end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 17, when the Lord did come to Abram and told him to change his name and told him that he's going to make his covenant with him. But it also continues throughout the entire Bible. I believe it's used over 70 times in scripture in just the Old Testament alone. And actually a lot of times in Job, majority of the times that we see the word El Shaddai used in scripture is in the book of Job. And I find that really interesting because El Shaddai means all-sufficient God. It means that he is the provider. He has everything we need. I love that because specifically when it comes to the story of Abraham, when God was changing his circumstance, even though the circumstance was bad at the time, Abraham still chose to worship God and still called him sufficient. So the Lord, through that, even though he was in his 90s and was like, can I still father children? God said, I am an all-sufficient God. I have everything you need. You're going to have everything you need because you trust in me. And this was the first time that Abram used that word, El Shaddai, in referring to God And it's also very significant, this word, El Shaddai, because in all of the Old Testament, this is really, really cool to me. The line from Abraham, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on and so forth, all the way down to Jesus and and beyond. Every time that a father, one of those leaders would bless their next generation, their, their heir, their next firstborn son, so... Abraham blessed Isaac, Isaac blessed Jacob and so on and so forth. Every time they verbally gave that blessing and made that pass down ceremony, they used specifically that word El Shaddai. And each of those points is a really really significant time to use the phrase El Shaddai or the name El Shaddai because he's essentially prophesying over them. he And he's sharing his testimony simultaneously saying, I know this God, the God that has blessed us, the God that is allowing me to pass a blessing onto you, the one that will bless you, that has also blessed me, is El Shaddai to me. He's been all sufficient to me. He's provided everything I've ever needed. And I'm passing that down to you so you can know that he is El Shaddai. I'm telling you that's who he is. And that's who we as a culture, as a family, as a unit, as a bloodline, that is how we refer to and see our God. We see him as all sufficient. We see him as a provider because he has always done that in our family's history. And I am now prophesying that through you, he will always do that In our family legacy moving forward, because he said he would. That is who he is. That is who he professes himself to be. It's who he has shown himself true to be. That's another one that I wanna take to the Lord this week and just continually thank him for being El Shaddai, because you all know my story where I have or I was diagnosed with a condition that I don't really want. I don't really wanna deal with that. It's a really crappy circumstance. I don't like it. I would rather be without it. I pray for healing for that all the time. I'm still believing for it. But at the same time, even though I have not had or experienced the fullness of that healing quite yet, at the same time, I can still profess him to be El Shaddai, my my provider, all-sufficient God, because my circumstance does not and will never dictate who he is. I cannot change him based on what I'm experiencing. That would be walking by sight and not by faith. And I need to know that who he is is so far and above and beyond my understanding, my circumstances, my world, my brain. (laughs) I can't wrap my head around it. So when he gives us these pieces of who he is in scripture, that's something we can hold on to and continually profess. And I want to take a cue from Abraham, and I want to continue to prophesy that over my life and into the generations after me is, hey, I believe and I know that God is El Shaddai. He's a provider. And I'm prophesying that He's going to continue to be that in my life. And He's also going to be that in my family's life and every generation after me until the end of time. I'm professing that. So, that's something I'm going to continue to do. I also love, like I mentioned, how that word is used the majority of times it's used in the Old Testament. It's used in the book of Job. And if you know the story of Job, and even if you don't, Job is someone who basically, to give you a a really quick summary, Satan went to God in heaven and said, I don't believe that Job is a faithful servant. I believe that if if you let me mess with him, if you let me test him and give him trials and take things away that he loves, people he loves, put him in the midst of pain, some of the most painful circumstances, he'll deny you. Just let me try. And I believe that Enemy does this with us now, every single one of us. I think that's just his mission in life. And now he gets his demons to kind of do his dirty work with him. Isn't it interesting that the name El Shaddai is used the most in that chapter, specifically with Job, because Satan tried to take everything from him. I mean, he took family members. He took his home. He took his animals. He took his land. I mean, he took everything. And then on top of that, he heaped pain and sickness and all these awful circumstances that any one of them would be extremely painful and devastating for any of us to experience. But He heaped pain on him and the Lord said, you can try, but he won't deny me as a lesson, as an example. And no, this did not last Job's entire life, but it was for a season. And this season was incredibly, incredibly painful. It was a very long season that he allowed Job to go through this. And what did it do? Yes, it could have derailed Job off his faith life, off his faith rocker. I know for me, it would have, I mean, in a lot of ways, I like to think that my faith would withstand that, but to everything that he went through, every single thing, he still spoke the name El Shaddai. My God is all sufficient. I don't need anything else. You can take anything from me. You can take my home. You can take my kids. You can take my, you know, my family. You can take my livelihood. You can take my home. You can take everything. And I am still committed To God, because I know that He is all I need. He is my daily bread. He is my all sufficient provider, my protector, my redeemer. He is everything that I need. That is something that challenges me daily because, yes, I'm dealing with a very tough circumstance and things happen all the time, small things, but in the midst of the grand scheme of things, small potatoes, right? People are dealing with much worse things across the universe. And even then, I have to worship him because he's worth it. Not because my circumstance looks the way that I want it to, but because he's worthy. Because I cannot change who he is because I have an attitude problem. Because my attitude is based on my circumstances. That's a flesh problem. That's not god's problem that's not something he earned now he'll allow us to be angry like we're allowed he said be angry and do not sin we can share with him our anger he can take it he understands the full spectrum of human emotion because he sent jesus and jesus understood the full spectrum of human emotion he got angry but he didn't sin so while we're not called to act out of anger We're allowed to share our anger and our feelings with the Lord in that sense so that we can receive back from him the peace that passes all understanding. It's an exchange of relationship. It's an exchange based in our inheritance from the Holy Spirit. When we receive that Holy Spirit, we do not have the chains where we're bound to anger anymore. We are not bound to Feeling these fleshly, icky feelings and becoming bitter because when we turn to the correct source, he can exchange that for us with something that we can't muster up ourselves. It has to be sourced from him. I can't muster up peace. I can't muster up joy. That's something that has to be planted. It has to be. It's like a switch that has to be flipped on. It has to be ignited in me. I can do things that make me happy. I can do that. But I can't create in myself a spirit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. That's something that has to be sourced from Him. And when I have those things, I get the chance to worship Him and thank Him for those. When I see those reflected back towards me and other people, I get the chance to worship him and thank him because he is the provider. He's the all-sufficient God, the source of all good things that come to me and that come from me. So just as a reminder this week, you guys, these are two names of God that you can take to the bank. These are two names of God that you can reflect on. I want to challenge you. I'm going to do this every day this week, and I want to challenge you to do it as well. I'm going to get out my journal every morning, and I'm going to list on one side. I'll create a list for El Roy and a a list for El Shaddai, and I'm going to write all the ways under El Roy that God sees me, and in all the situations where God sees me, and in all the moments where I didn't deserve it where He sees me. And then on the other side, in El Shaddai, I'm going to list all the ways that God provides, all the ways that he has been sufficient for me in my life, when it felt like things weren't going to work out, when he made a way, he made a stream in the desert for me. I'm going to list all the ways that he has given me these feelings and these characteristics and these fruits of the spirit that I can't muster up myself And all the ways as well that he allows others to give me those things in my life that just enhance my joy, that just spark the fire inside me that he's put there, that make it bigger. So I want to encourage you to do that with me. If you want to share those things, I would love to hear what you're learning about El Roy and El Shaddai and ways that he's shown up for you as well. So Head on over to my Instagram page. It's kind of the home of Cultivate Hope Podcast. It's called at Sentiments with Sarah. Again, that's at Sentiments with Sarah. You can go there. You can comment on the picture for this episode and tell me what that means to you. Just tell me what Elroy means to you. Tell me what El Shaddai means to you. And I would love to hear your perspective so I can grow more. And I think we can help each other grow by seeing who God is to all of us. And I think we'll find a renewed hope and a renewed faith in the hope that sustains us and the hope of heaven. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for going on this journey with me to dive deeper into the names of God in this holiday season and to really reflect on who he is in his essence and who he is to us and how we can worship him in this season in a way that takes the attention off of us. We're supposed to magnify him, which means we got to minimize us. And in order to do that, we need to see different parts of him. We need to acknowledge the different characteristics and the different ways that he is God, the different ways that he is other. Sometimes I think it's easy to humanize him, but guys, he is not human. We're made in his image, but we are not God and we'll never be God. But he made us human with limits. He is an unlimited, all-sufficient God who sees. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to join us next week when we hear from my dear friend, music artist, and songwriter, Carmen Justice. She has some great perspective to help us see God as both Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Shalom. Until then, don't lose hope.